This is the Speaker for the Living podcast, exploring the depths of human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 2017 Trafficking in Persons Report Analysis from Speaker for the Living. My name is Seth Dare. I'm here with JJ Jenflone. Hey, everybody. We got some tips on your tip report. <laughs> we do. JJ and I have spent quite a lot of quality time with the tip report over over a few years of our grad school life. Is that what we're calling it? Quality time? I thought I was like crying into it. <laughs> Just me? Just me then? So I'm not sure how many of you have read the tip report. It has been published since 2001. There have been numerous improvements and additional details added over the years. Uh, there was the, the year where they added the United States. That was really great to recognize that our country has that problem too. Yeah, and I think, so one of the things we'll be using for, for today's podcast is we're using China as a case study. And I think it's important to point, to point out that the U.S. is not the only country that has something like the tip report. China also has a document that they put out that's their sort of answer to the tip report, which ranks sort of migrant and human rights abuses throughout the world. It's clearly, um, it's not as extensive as the U.S. report. And because it is only released in Mandarin, it, I mean, it understandably has a, a somewhat smaller audience um, just because English is still sort of, I would say, like the lingua franca of like academic and policy making. I mean, I think that would be fair to say. Um, there has also been talk of reports coming out of the UK that are going to be sort of similar to the US tip report, which I'm excited about sort of this idea that we can then compare and contrast the tip report to other sources. The problem with the, with the Chinese version of the tip report is just that they don't release their methodology at all. And Seth's going to talk about the tip reports methodology in a second. Uh, but some methodology is, is, is better than none when you're trying to do analysis. And the United Nations also has a report right. that is not a, a, it's not trying to do what the tip report is doing, but where they get country data and they do a lot of, uh, data analysis like charts and put that out and uh, that's also a useful report to put alongside for, for another source of data mm -hmm. yeah i think i think what we're just trying to get across to all of you out there is that at the moment at least there's no sort of shall we say like human trafficking bible where the the numbers are clear the stats are specific the methodology is beautiful it's it's not kind of you know if i want to know about oh i don't i don't even know like number of ships every year that capsize i i can generally find that actually without much difficulty actually finding out how many people are involved in something that is often very hidden and sometimes not recognized in the country that it's happening is is very difficult. So I don't we're going to say a lot of criticism of the tip report, but I don't want to attack it too much because it still is doing the absolute best it can. And uh, as uh, Professor Claude Destray of the Human Trafficking Center, where JJ and I spent some time, this I is a blame and shame report. Yes. And it uh, can do that effectively for certain countries. Like North Korea doesn't care so much, but uh, other countries do, as uh, China wasn't happy about being put back in Tier 3, as we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to say, like, the comeback from countries like China or on other issues, Russia... We'll say we'll we'll point out the hypocrisy or the faults of the United States, and whether or not all of those are true or not is not the point of me mentioning this. It's recognizing, yes, the United States has its faults, but the fact that it has faults does not mean that it can't point out the faults of other countries. If being perfect was the standard of calling out 
somebody else's fault, then nobody would be able to talk about anyone. Yes, very true. But this type of information and reporting is useful for the entire human rights project as we, as a world, you know, look at everything and see what we can do to help people within nations, to give information so people feel empowered or are already doing things and we are just aiding them, whatever the case may be. So most of the tip reports in recent years have some sort of introduction. They have some profiles of uh, trafficking victims, survivors. Mm -hmm. They have other introductory material. And then they have narratives and tier rankings. A lot of the media attention is on the tier rankings. However, the narratives have a lot of useful information that is compiled. A lot of it is, uh, comes through embassies in other countries and f also from other governments. But while the tier rankings can be really subjective, the narratives are well worth reading and can be really helpful info when analyzing a country. Well, there's some faults too, like sometimes there's copying and pasting between years. Uh, there's also unique information, and uh, as somebody who's done analysis on, like, coffee, I've been able to look at countries and say, okay, was there an issue with coffee with Mexico or Guatemala? And I'm going, oh, look, there's an issue noted in the tip report. Let me Google it and find out more information about it. Oh, there it is. So I want to make sure to separate out the narratives from the tier rankings and, and how you look at the tip report. Mm-hmm. So I also just really quickly, though, before we move on to that, I do want to make it clear, too, is that part of the problem, as Seth mentioned, with the with the copy and pasting is that the tip report, all the all of the reports, because it's a government document, have to follow the same format and be like in the same tone of voice. So they all have to be in third person. They all have to follow a particular like order sentence wise, which is why when you're reading it, it can it gets a little Ikea catalog-ish because it seems it's the same stuff repeated again and again. And that's because it's formulaic on purpose. The idea is that by making it a formula, it's a little bit more rigor rigorous. You're getting sort of direct references to things that are occurring in country. But also part of the problem is too, is that of translation. So these reports are submitted to the State Department in English. So you have people in country either collecting this information in English which is not the native language in many of these places, or you have people collecting this information, then translating it, then sending it on to the State Department. So there is sort of this layer of, of transformation or editing that is happening. So the methodology. <laughs> now, a methodology perhaps could use an explanation. Um, do you have a good, simple explanation, JJ? Uh, we were really excited when they expanded, and by we, I mean people at the Human Trafficking Center, but also just people I know who are in the field. We were really excited when they extended their methodology section uh, dramatically, and I want to say it was 2015, and by extending it dramatically, I mean to say they went from a paragraph to a whole page. Oh. We were all very excited. <laughs> and... What? Well, and they do have some explanation of tears as well, but to read one sentence of of this, or actually a couple sentences, so. The Department of State prepared this report using information from U.S. embassies, government officials, non-governmental and international organizations, public reports, news articles, academic studies, research trips to every region of the world, and information submitted to tipreport at state.gov. U.S. diplomatic posts and domestic agencies reported on the trafficking situation and governmental action to fight trafficking based on thorough research that included meetings with a wide variety of government officials, local and international NGO representatives, officials of international organizations, journalists, academics, and survivors. So, J.J., how does that fall short of being a real methodology? Well, so that's a whole list of people who can submit things or be talked to. It's not an actual list of the questions that are asked, the vetting processes that were done, nor is it, you know, if I were doing like an ethnography, there would be detailed like victim impact statements, 
I would have some sort of verification. I would have, in some cases, court records or things on the public record. I would have actual numbers, data, statistics. We don't have those. What we have instead are basically statements or narratives that have been given to these people that are listed as privileged reporters. And these people have turned around and reported. Now, I'm not trying to say that then like politicians working in country and certainly not NGOs and nonprofits working in country that are on the front lines of dealing with human trafficking aren't aware of what's going on and aren't reporting accurately what they're seeing. The problem is a scope. So if I am an NGO worker who works for a charity that only deals with female victims of sex trafficking, that's all I'm going to report on, right? I may not report on male victims of sex trafficking just because that's not in my scope of interest. And if there is no charity serving that population or if there is no politician serving that population, then they're not going to get reported. And so because this isn't reported back and because we don't have access to these narratives, we don't really know on the ground what the real hardship is. We don't know how many numbers of victims there actually are that have been reported. And we don't have a way, this is my big thing, is that we don't have a way of verifying that everyone has like the same definition of human trafficking, that everyone is working under the same definition of what it means to be a victim. We don't have that. I don't know if I explained that properly. It's enough. It's, it's to get across the idea. There's things we don't know. And that that's especially important when we get into tier placement, like how, what, what information goes into determining what tier you are in. And also bear in mind that the tip report office and like the formation of the tip report itself is chronically underfunded. Like they never have enough money in their budget. They are a teeny tiny little office in DC. And this is very low on the profile of, or the radar of embassies in country. If you're running an embassy in Haiti, you have bigger concerns. So the story goes than the tip report. And so as such, you have, we, we have anecdotal stories that have been told to us of, you know, interns in country, undergraduates in college being assigned you know, writing the narrative for a particular country. And so when you come to things like tier rankings, which is actually what many people reduce the tip report to, like what ranking a country gets is the most important, partly because of this blame and shame situation that Seth is mentioning and that there are ramifications for for not having a, a, a tier ranking of a certain height, is that these things are sometimes being set by people who, who don't work in the field or haven't completed their education at all. So there's multiple issues with tiers, but first I'll note that there's a year reporting period, which in this case is April 1st, 2016 to March 31st, 2017. There are four tiers and it is highly based on effort that a country is making and progress compared to the previous year. So when you're evaluating tiers, that's important. And when we go through some of the uh, more minor examples later, that'll also become really clear. One of the things that can be confusing is, aside from the fact that there is a tier two watch list, is like, how long are you on it? And when do you drop off? So the 2008 amendment to the uh, TVPA law said that any country that was on for two consecutive years that would otherwise be ranked tier two watch list for the next year will instead get an automatic downgrade to tier three in the third year. So after two years on tier two watch list, if it would be in the same place, it would automatically be downgraded. But the secretary of state is authorized to waive the automatic downgrade, which kind of goes against the fact that it's an automatic downgrade, making it not an automatic downgrade. It is. Yeah. It's, it's what I like to call like when your parents are like, you're going to get in real big trouble. We'll count to 10. <laughs> so the Secretary of State can make the automatic downgrade not automatic for two years. But then after that, it's mandatory that it goes up to one or two or down to tier three. 
except if I may drop in, it's that the Secretary of State can come in and say that there are special considerations. So for example, as I mentioned earlier, Haiti, uh, you see countries, particularly after a, if so, something happens, there's been a civil war, there's uh, been massive unrest in the region, there has been a major natural disaster, they'll get an extension uh, that's like a special, I guess, a dispensation almost, you would say, from the Secretary of State recognizing that they're in a unique situation. So it counts, and it's the rule right up until the point it's not the rule. Now, tier three. Dun, dun, dun. So going back to the original 2001 report, it says that starting in 2003, countries that are tier three will be subject to certain sanctions, principally termination of non-humanitarian, non-trade-related assistance. They would also face U.S. opposition to assistance from international financial organizations like the World Bank. Now, that has since been changed, and it was partially changed for the politic part of this, that, well, if we, automatic, if we downgrade somebody to Tier 3 and we have to give them sanctions or if we're really supposed to give them sanctions, but we don't, we need them for some strategic reason to not have sanctions because that's just the way the international relations works at times, then what do we do? Well, back in 2001, there was only tier one, tier two, and tier three. So they added in the tier two watch list, which has the rules that I just mentioned. And now tier three also is not as subject to certain sanctions. It's more of a may be subject. Mm -hmm. And I think even more than the, the, the may be subject, I think it's more of that when you hit tier three, it's, it's the U.S. State Department saying, you are, ter you are a slaver. You are terrible at managing human dignity and freedom within your borders. And so that's the that's the shame part. So whether or not actual economic sanctions happen, I think it's more of the world hears you get called out. Which again, North Korea has been on the list for a while. There's things they care about, but not so but much aren't that. report. Yeah, but there are other countries that like actually do care about their rankings and their position. I remember in 2001, Russia made a little bit of noise about its position on, on the tip report relative to how the U.S. ranks itself, which is almost always, a, actually it is always a tier one. I don't know, I'm almost, of course we win. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things where you get, there's a certain cachet in being able to say, you know, we're ranked as one of the best in the world for the freedoms of our people to to have complete agency in their movement. And then there's something very shameful, particularly if you're trying to be a major player on a world stage, if you could call out for a human right. And if you're a small country, being tier three might matter if you're trying to get assistance and you don't want to be a pariah. Oh, yeah. I think I think on the economic sanction end, it has less to do, I think, with like trade deals being negotiated and more mm -hmm. to deal with like your access to aid. And mm -hmm. then also, too, on top of it, you know, if if countries, if NGOs or businesses are looking to move into a new area, they might not if it's got a low tier ranking just because of there's like a weird association with tier rankings, which then it's also a fundamentally unsafe country that it's unlawful, sort of the contextual things that pop up. And so among the controversies in recent years was when the State Department under the Obama administration upgraded Malaysia from its Tier 3 ranking in 2014 to Tier 2 watch list in 2015. And then people questioning, what about the integrity of the report and blah, 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 Obama administration. And we agree that... The tip report in this case was manipulated by the State Department for political reasons. We just have seen that this is not the first time it happened under the Bush administration. It happened for the reasons that we mentioned, that when you start talking about the implications of Tier 3, there are times where the U.S. State Department decides it's in the U.S. interest not to penalize or shame a country with a Tier 3 ranking. Now... 
it is something that does affect the integrity of the report, which is a problem. And uh, Marco Rubio was uh, sponsoring, co-sponsoring a bill to address that. And I haven't checked on where that legislation is, but that's an issue. And the State Department should get pressure when it does something for political reasons. But in the human rights field, we, we have kind of this part of idealist need need to shoot for the moon and hope for good things. But on the other side, the realist part where this is the world we live in, this is what we have to work with. So I wish the tip report wasn't politically motivated ever, but, but... I've accepted that it is to some degree. We're just accepting limitations. I think this we're, we're moving forward. We're learning. By we, I mean you and I, Seth. We're becoming less idealistic, maybe? Right. Uh, I don't know if that's sad or not. The guy who started Good Magazine, I believe he had pragmatic idealist as a term, which <laughs> that was pretty good. I like it. So the TIP report, 2017 version, mentions that the Government Accountability Office report, which the GAO does some good research, that... Uh, State has made improvements in its annual report, but does not explicitly explain certain tier rankings or changes. So they noted that in this version that they are going to be more explicit about why they are upgrading or downgraded. downgrading. It still falls short of being a methodology or explaining, like, here's the drop-off where it happened. But it's an improvement, and so that's great. Which is better than nothing. Progress. Yeah, I'll take I'll take forward progress. Like there is something to be said about like continuous movement forward. And what has been very exciting, I think, is that what I've seen at least in the past few years is more people even just knowing the tip report exists, despite the mm -hmm. fact that their budget hasn't increased. Uh, and I think just in general, people having awareness of what human trafficking is and seeking out actual data attached to it like increasingly when we get requests to to do work you know or, or to report on things i mean i get i get a lot of calls because i do stuff for like politician related you know is this a, is this a good policy to move forward um is that they actually do want data and they want real data so that i think is definitely a good improvement and hey, I will say that uh, Ivanka Trump said that one of the things that she values most is uh, ending human trafficking. And that was going to be a part of her platform. I am thankful for that. I'll take it. So before getting into China, I'll mention a few uh, of the topics that there's a page or two on. Uh, one of them, paying to work the high cost of recruitment fees. Recruitment fees for uh, laborers and often through labor brokers, is a big problem and a, and a big factor in the supply chain and in various forms of trafficking. So it's a good thing for the tip report to mention. Uh, another topic is human trafficking, a public health perspective, which uh, takes a, a broader view of trafficking, not as, a, as an individual problem, but more as a systematic problem. And assisting male survivors of human trafficking. Now, this is talking about sex and labor. I mean, nearly half of victim, overall victims are men and boys. And a lot of the focus on treatment and recovery is on women and girls. So this is a real serious problem. So it's also good and also sad because it's a really sad topic because our being since things are inadequate to take care of women and girls, then you have men and boys who, for, for multiple factors, who may not see themselves as victims for cultural reasons, that uh, they may not want to admit it because it goes against what the traditional gender roles should be that, you know, we're, I'm not supposed to be in this situation and therefore I'm humiliated, so I'm not going to admit it. And, uh, you know, I, I even as an American male can understand. So there's just, it's a big deal. 
and it needs better addressed. And JJ, I know that uh, recovery services are something important to you. So what are your comments? It's an episode in itself, of course. I know. I was going to, like, I don't have, I'm trying to, here, do you pause for myself? I'm trying to think of something that's, like, short-winded. <laughs> <laughs> that's not terrible to say, and I can't, huh. It's it's almost, like, I don't want to say it's an existential crisis. And yet, it is. Because it's how how do you improve things and move things forward without making them worse? This is one of the things that we struggle with. And by, by we, I mean, like, just activists in the field, and I know myself in general. What what do you do if the, and this is what you and I were talking before we started filming today, but what do, you, what do you do if the methods that you have you know don't work perfectly? Do you completely throw them out and, and try to start fresh where you might not be able to? Because if I've learned anything about government processes, it's that they're terrible and long-winded. Or do you, yeah, if you can't burn it down from the inside, do you just slowly try to mold it? I mm, it's complicated. So we will provide the links to the tip reports so you can read mm -hmm. the sections. They're not really long. And then the last uh, one I'm going to mention is the online sexual exploitation of children, an alarming trend. And uh, JJ and I briefly did discuss this. And uh, yeah, it is a bit sensational. Yeah, well, and I think, too, what's more to this, and, and this is something that I wish perhaps I had mentioned earlier when, when I was talking specifically about, um, oh, the, the sort of flaws with the tip report is that, again, you know, as Seth and I have talked about, and I'm, like, rubbing my face like an old, tired woman, because <laughs> that's what I've become, when, as Seth and I mentioned before, there's this tendency for there still to be a focus on certain types of human trafficking over other types of human trafficking. And that may be a result of the laws in country. For example, if you look at India's trafficking and persons report, there will be a mention of some trafficking being perpetuated by the caste system, even though that system is now illegal, but it doesn't really go into the cultural ramifications of how widespread trafficking is related to the caste system. And that's because understandably, that's not something the Indian government is going to self-report on right to the american government then at the same time there's a over report not an over reporting because it's still existing but there is a constant reporting of women in sex trafficking and children in forced labor or children in sex trafficking and i think part of that is one it's easier to spot if you see a child in a brothel if you see a child in a construction site they're a child they shouldn't be there so it's a little bit easier in terms of the law enforcement end of things to see it whereas if it's an adult Particularly, as we've mentioned, like, you know, with the where are the men thing, if it's an adult male, there's sort of this perception that they're okay. So you will see in the tip report a lot of maybe a confirmation bias almost for people who say that sex trafficking is actually the major part of human trafficking or that child sex trafficking is, is the largest portion of human trafficking in the world. When we know that that's not true due to reporting from other sources like that UN report that we mentioned earlier. Right. And the lines sometimes between uh, sexual abuse, trafficking, and other things are, are not always crystal clear, but you know, sexual exploitation is awful, no matter what other label you oh, want to add to it. Yeah. And uh, so this briefly was talking about uh, things like live streaming of sexual abuse of children using web cameras or cell phones, often for profit such as people paying to direct the sexual abuse of children from anywhere in the world. And that is admittedly extremely disturbing. Yeah. And, and so when we're seeing these reports, I'm not saying that they're not true because they are. They are 100% true. And I'm not saying it's a huge problem. And I'm not saying that it's not repulsive because all those things are true. What I'm saying is just that we can't forget victims just because they're over the age of 18 as well. And I know, and I know that people kind of have a have a visceral response to children. I completely understand. I get it. But if if we're going to look at people as people, then we have to count adults as well, who do make up the majority of the victims. So again, to talk about the progress of the tier, um, not this tears the uh, tip report, the fact that we're talking about re recruitment fees, public health, male survivors, and then child online sexual exploitation. It's an improvement to try to balance things oh, out. Oh, yeah. 
And if you even look at just like the physical books themselves, you know, the, the tip report from five, six years ago is smaller by far than the tip report now. Like we are getting more and more detail with with each passing presentation of the tip report and that the tip report has continued to put itself online free as a pdf so that anyone can have access to it you can also physically it, it's like sending away for the worst cereal box present ever um you can send a, you can send away and request a physical copy from them as well if, if you want to have that sadness on your bookshelf um i know i do people love it when they come to visit <sighs> I, I think that there's something worth saying that we're, we're expanding every year with sort of the nuances. It's not just labor trafficking or sex trafficking anymore. They get into, I mean, I know I was so excited when they had forced marriage. That was so exciting when they finally started to really like write long details on that or when they started writing about sort of the rest of it system or sort of cultural systems of, of debt bondage and slavery. That was great. So they are they are improving. I don't want it to seem like I'm I'm hating on them for no reason. It's just I I want it to move farther. But can they move farther with the budget that they have right now? I don't know. All right. China. 2010, 2011 and 2012, their tier ranking was tier 2 watch list. 2013, they were tier 3. 2014, 15 and 16, they were tier 2 watch list and in 2017 they're once again tier three. So JJ, tell us something about China. And this <laughs> oh, will be, and, and we do have a long narrative here. There's so many things. All right. Maybe you want to remind people you've been to China. Ah, been there for a while. Once, twice, four years. Who knows? All right. So here's here's the thing. And before I get angry messages on WeChat, I love China. We've talked about this. I love the country, but same as I love the U.S., still got problems, and I'm going to talk about them. So here's here's the deal. Is As Seth has mentioned, China's kind of flip-flopped in its position of the Trafficking in Persons report. I don't quite understand why this is, because I personally firmly believe that China should have been on Tier 3 from, from the get-go. The reason being that China, to, to me, again, personal opinion, over the last, let's say, 10 years of, of tip report, has shown a lack of willingness to recognize human trafficking within the country, a lack of willingness to recognize human trafficking of its citizens outside of its borders, and the trafficking of people, in particular people, uh, other people from East Asia or Southeast Asia, I'm thinking of Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, et cetera, into its country, its mass exploitation of migrant workers and minority, ethnic minority workers, and a widespread use of penal labor, which as, as Seth and I have talked about, there's, there's also two a difference between prison labor, say, in the U.S., and prison labor in a Chinese work camp, right? So for me, so many cases again and again and again, year after year in China, have been reported of how China hasn't addressed trafficking within its borders. And because it hasn't done that, I think it should have been in a tier three from day one, and then that way, hopefully, they would slowly rise up. But that didn't happen. So China got bumped down to tier three, though. And to quote directly from the first uh, paragraph of the report, the government of the People's Republic of China does not fully meet the minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking and is not making significant efforts to do so. Despite the lack of significant efforts, the government took some steps to address trafficking. And what they mentioned then is investigating Chinese trafficking victims overseas. As, as someone who has looked into what those cases were, these were primarily sex trafficking cases and cases involving children. So this wasn't a deep search onto migrant workers moving from Northern China to Southern China to work and being taken massively advantage of. This wasn't the movement of Laos women into southwestern China enforced marriage. This wasn't the movement of 
men into Hong Kong for sex work. This this was tied to children. The government also reported operating shelters specifically for trafficking victims. However, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, some unverified media and NGO reports indicated government complicity in forced labor continued, including in some drug rehabilitation facilities where individuals continued to be detained without judicial process. This is something that I have seen correlated or referenced by a number of Chinese scholars and reporters who, who do work on China, in particular, that people taken into juvenile detention centers, uh, government-run rehabs, which are essentially like prison and rehab simultaneously, and then just straight forced labor camps via prisons, being taken advantage of by local government. I'm not saying national government, but so think of China as the U.S., so like state government as opposed to federal and massively, massively harming people in order to gain money. The tip report also mentioned something that Seth and I did a series of podcasts on, which is that the continued treatment of North Koreans within China and their failure to recognize that these people are victims further hurts China's case. So, and if you want more details on it, Seth and I devoted hours <laughs> to it and like still didn't get to all of it. And then finally, Chinese law, which is another thing they touch on. So Chinese Chinese officials are following the law when they don't recognize North Koreans as refugees or as victims of trafficking. They're following Chinese law and international law. They're also signatories too, so it's a little confusing, but they're finding they're following Chinese law. They're also following Chinese law when you're dealing with some forms of prostitution involving children younger than the age of 18, because the law doesn't fully criminalize all forms of trafficking that includes prostitution involving children. It, it has very strict definitions. It's not kind of like the U.S. where it's just straight any any sexual contact involving a minor. It's, it's very uh, narrowly worded. So when you're dealing with things that might be classified as trafficking in the U.S., they're not classified as trafficking in China. What the tip report here is saying is that it doesn't matter. China should be classifying things according to international law by now and that they're not represents the CCP, the Central Communist Party of China, making like a clear defined choice not to do so. Now, why that is, I can't say because I'm not a party member. <laughs> I don't get to go to the meetings, so I don't know why it is that they're following this particular policy, but that's where they are. So this is the part, this is why I think China is such an interesting case study, because these recommendations for Tier 3, normally for Tier 3 recommendations, they are written kind of harshly. Because remember, this is coming from the State Department like to these governments. So normally it's something like, you must do X, Y, and Z, right? The Chinese recommendations are incredibly detailed dealing with the P's of prosecution, protection, and prevention. They, it is very detailed, which is something that I haven't seen like to this degree before. So I don't know who wrote this report or, or if it was a series of people who, who were very interested in, in serving these Chinese victims, but this is, this is harsh, justified, and I endorse every single word of it, but it's, it's, it's damning. What makes my little heart flutter, because this is, this is kind of my, my area of study that I'm most interested in, is the trafficking profile, which this is something, Seth, that we've seen kind of expand, I think, greatly from the initial tip report. It, it used to be that you would get like, China is a source and transit country for men and children. Like you would get kind of like five or six sentences. It, it didn't have a lot of detail and it certainly didn't have like references to where this information was coming from directly in the text. Now we're actually getting like five or six paragraphs. And that may not seem like a lot to those of you who haven't worked with the tip report a lot, but this is like, it's like going from a poem to Moby Dick in terms of length. Like I will take it. But what makes me really happy and kind of sets my academic heart aflutter is the second sentence of the trafficking profile. So in the first sentence, they talk about how China is a source, destination, and transit country for men, women, and children for forced labor and sex trafficking. So what they're saying is that 
all types of people who are liable to be trafficked are all forms of trafficking are liable to happen and all types of trafficking like is it are they coming into the country is it happening internally or are people leaving all that's happening second sentence is i quote china's internal migrant population estimated to exceed 180 million people is vulnerable to trafficking with Chinese men, women, and children subjected to forced labor in brick kilns, coal mines, and factories, some of which operate illegally and take advantage of lax government enforcement. While the law prohibits employers from withholding property from an employee as a security deposit, previous reports indicated such practices continued, thus making certain vulnerables, certain workers vulnerable to forced labor. As someone who had friends who were migrants who worked in factories, this is 100% true. I anecdotally, I will throw my hat in and say this is 100% true. The fact that this tip report is calling out a form of trafficking that has almost become normalized in China, everybody talks about how migrants are taken advantage of. Migrants are the new peasants. I am just just so happy to see it in writing in a government document that, that these people are being recognized. In the second paragraph, under the trafficking profile, they talk about re-education through labor, the RTL. So this is this is when I say like kind of the traditional like Soviet-style gulag. That's what that is. That that's a prison camp. Now the government passed the Chinese government passed policies in late 2014, early 2015 that they were going to close all these down. And by late 2015, they had closed most of them down. The problem is, is that they just changed them from being prisons directly to things like drug rehab facilities or juvenile detention centers or one in particular that I remember reading about that I'll, I'll, I'll link to down below so y'all can read more about it was a internet addiction detention center. So if, if you got picked up as a juvenile delinquent for spending too much time online, because that's a thing in, in China, kids will go to internet cafes and stay for... I mean, a few have stayed until they died um, for, for 24 hours, 30 hours playing sort of World of Warcraft style games. You can get sent to one of these internet detention centers where it turns out the guards were making the kids mine for gold that they could then sell to foreign video game players. Right. Which is just insane to me when you think of like the scheme that that requires, right? The, the sort of collaboration between guards, prison authorities, local government. So I would contend that the RTL, the, the re-education through labor, it's, it's not what it was intended to be under the original communist government. It's not a re-education camp. It's not a prison. It's their money-making schemes. There's also just sort of terrible, terrible stories about things happening to, to women arrested for prostitution and ethnic minorities who are brought to these re-education centers. Particularly if you are a religious minority not recognized in China, or if you suffer from any sort of disability, any sort of illness. I mean, I've, I've heard terrible things, too, about people who are HIV positive being sort of cordoned off in particular camps. So that is, is, is rough. But I'm just so, so happy that it ends with, two a discussion of forced marriage, both of foreign women brought into China and Chinese women within country. You know, these are all the things that people who do human trafficking and, and work with China have been mentioning for years. But to see them, like you said, Seth, earlier, like just to see them in writing and to be able to pull out from people and be like, no, the State Department said this is, is helpful. It's very helpful. Helen, that's China. And they're tier three. And they will just have to live with that. And they should have been. <laughs> they should have been for a while. And again, before I get angry messages, it's not, this isn't a blame and shame thing. It's not that I, if you want my personal opinion, I, I don't, there are very few countries that I would say deserve to be a, a one. I want us to be harsher. I don't know if the U.S., because of our, our ability to do more that we don't do, I think puts us at a two, personally. But then maybe it's no longer effective if it's if it's that no one gets to be a one, nobody wants to participate. I don't know, Seth. What are your thoughts? What would you what would you rank the U.S.? Do we get a one by like process of elimination because comparatively we're doing okay? And it'd be weird to only have sort of like the Nordic states in particular areas have one. 
I don't know. I'll say that I'm not convinced for a one. That's, and and I don't know. Maybe this is weird patriotism talking, where I'm like, no, if the U.S. is going to be as exceptional as we are, <laughs> we can't do it. We gotta we gotta be admitted to ourselves. I suppose it's weird, too, how we can have a popular narrative of we have major border issues and rank Mm -hmm. ourselves tier one. Like, well, if we have major issues, then are we tier one? But uh, border complicated subject. I've had other podcasts on that. Won't get into it here. And so and so I guess I guess that's my problem. And then maybe so like the the China's listing they they break countries down by tier by by a similar tier system but they also look at population size gdp you know things of things of that nature so kind of a what do we expect this country to be able to do versus what they're actually doing which maybe that actually is is a slight I mean, they're using it for a blame and shame thing, too. It, it's clearly a thing to attack Western countries and say, well, you think you're so great, but. But maybe but maybe that would be something that I think would maybe situate the tip report in a little bit of a clearer way. So moving on, that's the primary focus of the podcast. And now we're going to highlight a few other countries briefly. I would like to throw out, though, that I also think there should be a tier four that's like just for North Korea and Mauritania. <laughs> Mauritania where there still is legal slavery or I mean they say of. it's not they say it's not legal but legally you can still deed people in your will. So mm-hmm. it's it's legal. I just think that it there needs to be I think a, a level below that for like countries that are not participating in this process and clearly don't care about human rights at all. Because I think part of the problem is people look at at the fact that North Korea and China are both tier three and say, well, that, you know, China's not that bad. So they institute sort of like a continuum on the tiers when I think it should be a little bit more clear. So I would like a tier four for just this is a straight up hellscape. Let's acknowledge it. So I picked out a selection of countries based on notable tier changes along with country and thought about how much I know about the countries and I'll move briefly through them. If you look at the PDF version of the report, there is a chart from 2010 to 2017 of tier rankings for each country, assuming that they are ranked. Like Mm -hmm. right now, Somalia is a mess, so it gets a special category. But uh, most countries have tier rankings. And uh, if you look at older reports, older tip reports, there are rankings that go all the way back to 2001 if they were listed in 2001. So just so you know where you can see those. There's also profiles online in HTML which don't have this chart. So the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo, they've moved from the tier, tier two watch list past few years to tier three, considering all the instability there. It's there's a lot that's subjective, but uh, it communicates that they're really that they don't meet the standards and they're really not making much of an effort. But then if you don't really have a much of a country, it's hard to do that. The nearby Republic of the Congo has been on the tier two watch list for the past two years and then this year dropped down to tier three. And uh, the beginnings of these narratives begin something like does not fully meet the minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking and is not making significant efforts to do so. Therefore, downgraded to tier three. So one country that's had issues is a Cote d'Ivoire. Actually did not know how to pronounce that till recently. I'm actually really glad you said it because I've been calling it Cote d'Ivoire. So good to know. And I'm sure if if you're French, you, you are thinking about how much I mangled your language. Oh, yeah. But uh, I was in France once, so there's that. Uh, otherwise known as the Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire has had issues uh, most notably with forced labor and chocolate and uh, also forced labor and coffee, but chocolate was the big one. And the fact that uh, there was 
information on uh, forced labor and adults and that this was something that the Department of Labor reported on uh, that uh, makes them a notable country in terms of progress. And uh, they've been, according to the TIP report, Tier 2, 2012 through 2015, moved down to the Tier 2 watch list in 2016, and then moved up into Tier 2 in 2017. And this is the most common type of phrasing we've seen is like the government of Cote d'Ivoire does not fully meet the minimum standards oh, for the elimination yeah. of trafficking. However, it is making significant efforts to do so. Uh, since we've spent a lot of time looking at these reports, it's like, oh, yes, of course. But that's part of what the State Department is looking for is making efforts. And uh, the fact that in this case, the government demonstrated increasing efforts compared to the previous reporting period. Therefore, they were upgraded to Tier 2. That's still vague, and it does give a few details. But not but, enough. Like, it's prohibited human trafficking in its new constitution. It passed a comprehensive anti-trafficking law, which is something noted in every narrative, whether there is a comprehensive anti-trafficking law. It does define that. And it also adopted a 2016 to 2020 anti-trafficking action plan. Now that they've adopted it, they will need to implement it. That doesn't always happen with countries. Guatemala has been at tier two for five, no, six years and dropped down to tier two watch list as of 2017. Uh, I personally would dispute whether they're tier two, knowing what I know about Guatemala. Were you going to say something? Well, yeah, I was going to say that's that's the other thing, too, is that if you have any sort of country knowledge uh, at all, a lot of times when you read these, you're like, well, well, no. I remember in particular we were doing one on Dubai, and there was mention that there were women's shelters available, and, and someone who, who was – Working with us had had spent significant time living and working in the Middle East. Was like, well, if they exist, I've never heard of them. So Guatemala in 2014, uh, CAFTA, which is the Central American United States Free Trade Agreement Organization, proceeded with a law labor enforcement case against Guatemala. This isn't a common thing, as I understand it. They have lots of labor issues and labor broker issues in Guatemala, yet we ranked them a tier two and left them unchanged for six years. But in the State Department's eyes, there was improvement. And again, they they mentioned, well, they did some good things. They prosecuted. Oh, actually, they start off listening and they convicted less people. They identified fewer victims. And they referred fewer than half of identified victims to shelters. But how many were there? Because it could have been four. So they were downgraded. Mm -hmm. uh, Guiana, which is uh, the northeast side of South America, very small country, but they've shown progress and uh, moved to Tier 1, according to TIP Report. And for a small country to be esteemed as Tier 1 is generally something positive, so good for them. Uh, Iceland moved from Tier 1 to Tier 2. Iceland is one of those interesting countries that uh, can't help but being a hub. You know, Iceland Air, I, I flew it once and had a layover in, in uh, Reykjavik, if I said it right. I think you said it right. Reykjavik? That's probably Reykjavik? correct. I feel it. The, the meaning is still there. So it made efforts, but it said the efforts were not serious and sustained compared to the efforts during the previous reporting period. Also, the government did not prosecute or convict any suspected traffickers for a sixth consecutive year and decreased investigations of suspected traffickers. Therefore, Iceland was downgraded to Tier 2. And then with the own wording, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We haven't prosecuted anyone for six years, but we're going to downgrade them this year. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I think when we, you and I were talking about, like, sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. Now, to be fair, I'm only reading the beginning of the narrative when there are quite a few more words, but that's where their explanation is. Uh, Iraq has dropped from Tier 2 to Tier 2 watch list. It goes without saying that parts of Iraq are unstable. 
that uh, ISIS has only recently been not not really kicked out, but uh, defeated in Mosul. But that's also part of what this is looking at, though, is what is the government doing and that it's trying. And part of that is providing financial compensation to trafficking victims who were taken captive and exploded by ISIS. And the defeat ISIS campaign that the Iraqi government ran that contributed to the release of women and children held captive by ISIS. And so when you have a country where there's just a lot going on like we we need the Iraqi government to do what they're doing and the fact that this is a it's important to free people who are being trafficked from ISIS so uh, there's all yeah so th there's still some issues but there's some progress for the Iraq mm -hmm. and that's the other thing too is that when you're looking at a government document this isn't like this is updated in real time it comes out once a year Malaysia, which had uh, problems with, uh, most notably with electronics and labor brokers, they've gone from tier two watch list to tier two. And again, when they were upgraded because of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which no longer exists, this has them upgrading to tier two. Qatar, they've been in the news, or, or as other people say, Qatar. Where are you on that? I, I personally like the way Qatar sounds. It sounds more exotic this cutter sounds like a knife yeah it's got a little bit it's got a pizzazz to it got a little something to it but i think that this is like what these narratives are doing is just underscoring how how to, how to say this just how vague so much of this is it is but it's also like look at the tears but it's best not to look at just what the tiers are this year. You really have to compare them to the previous year and say, mm -hmm. how do they compare and why? And read the narrative to get the full impact of, all right, here's what it says has happened this year. Here's what it's citing as a reason for an upgrade or downgrade. And here's the specific deals of, you know, here's how many people they prosecuted since the, the uh, narratives tend to give that what type of protection and identification there are for victims, what type of prevention efforts they're doing, and you can read those details in every report. I think it's important to, to look at the context of the time of what things are happening as well, because that kind of, I think, positions how the State Department frames some of the, the listings. So in the case of Qatar, they established a coordinated body to oversee and facilitate anti-trafficking initiatives, and they also enacted a law that reforms the sponsorship system to significantly reduce vulnerability to forced labor. The sponsorship system. People are... Is a problem. Yeah. You get sponsored to be like a domestic servant, and then the employer has so much control over you that... There have been numerous trafficking situations that result. They've also implemented a wage protection system that uh, implements a new electronic contracting system and new labor dispute panels. That's great. It's like a lot of things. It reads good on paper. And uh, if it's what they say it is, that could be very helpful to people who are migrant workers. But uh, as, as I recall, like there's a huge number of people that are migrant workers, like the, the majority of people oh, in yeah. Qatar, right? In, in country, the, the majority of the population. The majority of the population is migrant workers. And at least that is something that's happening, too, I think, that we're seeing in a lot of these is the acknowledgement that migrants are often also trafficked. So that's a little about Qatar. There is more in that narrative. And uh, if you have an interest in a country, we encourage you to take a look at the full narrative for a given year. You can download it. If you're really ambitious, you can download the previous year and you can download them all. They're all say, free. You can, yeah, you can go down and you can actually go country by country too. So if you just want to download, say like all the China narratives, all at once, do a nice comparison. So that folks is a overview of the 2017 Trafficking in Persons Report. 
And really, there's so much information. We could talk for hours and hours. Some of it would probably get boring, but uh, by all means, take a look and go beyond the tears. Yeah. I like that. That's a good subtitle for this podcast this week. I was going to lead with everything is terrible, but I could take it. All right. And with that, we will bid you goodbye till next time. Okay, guys. Always try to be a tier one. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.